Do you have a story to tell? Here at Rider on the Road, it's the journey that matters. Regardless of where you are on your riding journey, Rider on the Road will inspire you to take your dreams and make them happen. So sit back and enjoy the show as Melinda brings you guests who know what it's like to go it alone and who are willing to reach out to the rest of us by sharing their stories. Authors, publishers, entrepreneurs, people at all stages of the riding journey, just like you and me. It's time, dear listeners, to answer the question for yourselves. Do you have a story to tell? Welcome to another episode of Writer on the Road. Today I've got with me Jessica Aspen from the Colorado Rockies near Boulder, Colorado. And the most exciting thing about this is Jessica has just had her book Wolf in Forster go live on Kindle Scout. And she's really, really excited because it's a program where if you vote for which books you want to see published, and if you vote for Jessica, then her book will be published. The book that gets the most votes in a 30-day period wins. So we've got 30 days, everybody, to help Jessica along and to get her votes counted. And if Wolf and Borsa is, um, if it does win, everyone who voted gets a free copy of the ebook from Amazon. So it's all pretty, pretty exciting, and we're hoping to get behind behind Jessica on this. So at the end of the episode, we'll give the details on how you can do that. They'll be in the transcript notes. Um, your vote will count. Your vote does count. So please get behind Jessica and, and help her out because her she's an excellent writer. Uh, what she writes, and she'll be telling us more about this in the podcast today, but she writes Twisted Fairy Tales. She's got a couple of um, series out currently. One is a more Tolkien, modern twist on fairy tales set in the fey world of the Underhill. And the other ones are shorter and a bit spicier, and they're set in the modern Colorado Rockies. So it's it's worth having a look. It's worth having a listen today because we talk about the benefits of writing novellas, and that's something that I've always been interested in, and that's why I've got Jessica on with me today. So have a listen, sit back, enjoy. I won't bore you too much with my bike riding um, escapades and all the rest of it because I'm planting that all over Facebook. But once I get to 30Ks, you'll hear all about it. Uh, last, if you'd like to leave a review, on iTunes that'd be great Uh, we certainly got a few reviews happening but it'd be great to get more okay sit back listen don't forget to vote for Jessica on Kindle Scout and we'll talk to you at the other end of the podcast It's welcome to another episode of Writer on the Road. Today we're crossing to the other side of the world and I am really naughty. I forgot to ask where. So I have the beautiful Jessica Aspen with me this morning and she lives in a world of spicy, twisted fairy tale romances. Now what a great way. It's 5am here in Australia. What a great way to start the day. Spicy, twisted fairy tale romances. Uh, Good morning, Jessica. Good morning. Good morning. Whereabouts are you? I am at the foothills of the Colorado Rockies near Boulder, Colorado. Okay, I'm glad I asked because I was going to say England, so I was a long way off. Oh. Okay, <laughs> so look, welcome welcome to Australia. Welcome to Rider on the Road. Uh, tell us what you do. It sounds intriguing. Well, I do exactly what you said. I write twisted fairy tales. Um, I have two different series out currently. One is more of a Tolkien, uh, modern Tolkien twists on fairy tales set in a fey world of Underhill that intersects with our own. And the other one are it's short and a little bit spicier novellas set in the modern Colorado Rockies. So right in my backyard, pretty much. Okay. And, and 
The thing I want to unpack with Jessica today, everybody, is that short writing and I guess novella length leads to a lot of creativity. I'm, I'm pretty excited about this, um, this form of writing, as everybody knows, because I keep raving about it now. Uh, you said you have quite a few in, in your novella series. I have six. I have six in the novella series. One's a little long to be a novella. I had I struggled with that one, but it's a little long. But the rest are all between about 32 and 36,000 words. They're long novellas. They're not the super short. Yeah, and um, they sell very well. Um, I noticed that there are some awards on your on your webpage here. You've won the OKRWA International Digital Award 2014 finalist. I- I've, yeah, I've, I've finaled a lot. <laughs> so always a finalist, never a bride. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I think being able to put those things on your website is is pretty impressive. And here in Australia, there's a lot of women who, or some of my writing friends, are always putting up these little red signs saying, I'm a finalist in this and I'm a finalist in that. Um, readers, I think, appreciate those kinds of things. I hope so. Um, I enjoy I enjoy entering them. I particularly enjoy entering contests that are judged by readers and librarians rather than authors. I think there's a different view on books that readers give. Yeah, so, and we I'm, have a we have a very strong uh, reader um, network here in Australia, especially with the romance guys, and they're very well respected among our writers um, because they're very supportive. Now, you've um, you follow up that quite a bit where you are, don't you? You you interact with your readers fairly well. I try to. I have a newsletter group. I have a Facebook group. Uh, I've really enjoyed doing the newsletter because I find that they email me personally. And I it's, it, it, I thought it would be a lot of work answering emails personally, but it turns out to be a joy. I get these wonderful emails from people sharing personal details of their lives with me. And it's like having a whole new set of friends. And I really enjoy that. Yeah. Now, you've so. built your email list up. Yes, really this year. I started off the year with about 300, and I now have nearly 4,000. Yeah, so, and that's yeah. amazing because we all hear that um, building an uh, email list is something that's really, really important, and it's integral to, to selling uh, our future work. So would you like to talk to us about how you built that email list so very quickly because I think going to 4,000 in such a short period of time is pretty exciting. Well, I've had it in the back of my books. So I've had the that organic growth that you have. I also have it on my Amazon page. I have it on my website. I have it everywhere you see it. So I get a little bit of organic growth that way. But what I did this year was I decided to focus on it. And I took Mark Dawson's class on Facebook advertising and floundered. Oh, <laughs> I, I just struggled with the technical things on the face. I, I I can do technical things, but it was very stats-oriented. Um, there were all these things you had to do. So a friend of mine was using a service by a man named Johnny Andrews, and it was called I Love Vampire Novels. And he has now uh, broken out where he does other types of books. He does all different types of books now. But what he was doing was doing the Facebook advertising for you for a very reasonable price, and I told her, try it. And then she did well with it, so I I decided to do it. So for a, I think a fairly minimal monthly price, he will handle the advertising for you. And the way he does that is with contests. So every three months, your contest rolls over. So you give prizes. Everybody wins a free book from you. So everybody gets a sample of your writing. 
everybody gets put onto your newsletter list, and then you have people who win prizes. So it's what I would call warm leads. So the people who sign up through the back of my book, I'd say that's a hot reader. They know me. They like me. They signed up to the back of my book. The ones I get through Johnny Andrews and the I Love Vampire novels, I would say are more warm leads. I know they like paranormal romance because they're clicking on it. Um, I know that they're open to all of this because the, what they do get to win are books. So I know they're readers. I know they're paranormal romance readers. But they are also there for the prize. So maybe they're not so interested in me. Maybe they don't know me. So, so I get a little bit of a drop-off from that. There's not, they're not quite as um, enthusiastic as the hot leads. But they're still interested, and most of them have stuck around. So I've been very happy with it. It's been a very easy way to build my mailing list uh, because all I had to do was pay a little money for it. And um, I, I don't have a ton of money to put towards things like that, but that seemed worth it to me. So. Yeah, I um I paid for the Mark Dawson course as well. I, I don't know many of us who don't because we all live with high hopes. And I paid for that, oh, ages and ages and ages ago. And unlike um, Nick Stevenson's, um, what is it, ten, first 10,000 customers, uh, mm-hmm. I actually looked at some of the modules on that. Mark Dawson's I'd never even opened. I thought oh, it just makes my eyes glaze over. And I thought I paid all that <laughs> money and I'm just going, oh, give me a break. And I found a lady here in Australia. I went to this absolutely horrendous business in heels um, networking event. Oh. Didn't I, everybody? I, I tell everyone on my, um, on my podcast how bad I was at networking and how I sort of hid in the corner and didn't want to talk to anybody. Uh, <laughs> couldn't climb out the window fast enough um but i met a beautiful lady by the name of amber and i've just handed all my facebook advertising for my course over to her and it will look mm. it was a reasonable price um for the time and effort it would have taken me to to ramp up i guess it was well worth the money to have someone else do it for me so i'm going to everybody i'm going to actually get uh amber to start a little contest and I'm just trying to think of something that I could give away. I've got some middle grade fiction books, so I might give those away and get people interested in the course in that way. So thank you, Jessica. Um, that's it from mm-hmm. Rider on the Road. I've got what I wanted out of this today. I'll see you all later. <laughs> no. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Now, when we started this conversation with Jessica today, um, she very kindly said that she she doesn't think she's an expert, but already 10 minutes in, uh, you're, you're giving us great tips. Uh, do you think... As authors, we we undersell ourselves. We have skills that we don't that we take a little bit for granted. But there's always someone better than us and doing things differently and more effectively. So we, I guess, we undervalue our own skills. I, I definitely think that's true, and it might be particularly true for women. Um, I know in my own case. I felt like I I got my degree and then I didn't do a whole lot with it. I stayed home and I did small jobs for lots of different reasons. Um, So I didn't end up having a big career. And a lot of people I know in the business, uh, one of the successful authors I know is a lawyer. Actually, I know several lawyers and engineers and people who are in marketing and now they're writing romance and they're taking all those skills they learned in the business world and applying them. Joanna Penn's a good example. She had a huge job advising businesses on how to do almost exactly what we're doing. I mean, she a big, big job. So they start off right out the gate, uh, 20 years ahead of where I am, you know. And, and so I feel like I'm always a little struggling, I, especially at the beginning. I have felt like that. And maybe I tend to carry that along with me. I don't tend to realize what I have learned and accumulated. 
uh, until I start talking to someone <laughs> and they're like, oh, you know this. Yeah, and everybody, so. I was attracted to uh, Jessica in our uh, Joanna Penn Creative Freedom um, what, do, what do we call ourselves? I guess we call ourselves support group, Facebook group, whatever we are. Um, but there are a group of amazing women. And I'm wondering whether like indie authors and self-publishing is becoming so mainstream now and so professional because of the calibre of, I guess, writer, business person that it's attracting? Mm. Well, I think, I think that's always been true in romance. I think it's been a big secret that the romance writers have been business-oriented. Um, I didn't realize it until I started talking to people in other genres. They were five years behind where the romance writers I knew were. And you'll hear it over and over again in the podcasts. They start interviewing the romance writers and they're way ahead um, on the business side of things a lot of times. So I and a lot of them had huge careers and then were writing romance on the side for fun and then applied all that in there. I think romance is a dirty little secret sometimes. Even It doesn't matter what kind you write. It could be sweet romance. It can be, um, you know, spicy romance, obviously. But, but, but even sweet romance. I know people who don't want to tell anybody. It's like they've got this secret. So, so they're still keeping regular jobs, and they still have all of this. So I don't know. I, I think I've always run into very smart women in the industry through Romance Writers of America. So... Yeah, and and it's interesting, isn't it? That I'm I'm surprised that you're saying that uh, writing romance is still a secret because, like, it seems everybody uh, either is writing romance, knows a romance writer, or reads romance. But that could be just in the field that we we move in. But I also know that Joanne Joanna Penn, who who is our I guess our head honcho, our matriarch, <laughs> um, she writes thriller adventure novels. But she's also paired up with someone to write romance as well. And again, this is this is what I love that that pushing boundaries, that trying new things. As indie authors, we have this wonderful um, opportunity to to try all these different things. Um, and writing short, which brings me back to where we are with your spicy romances, is particularly good for being able to to twist things around and try new things. Now, I notice you you do write these twisted fairy tales, these spicy twisted fairy tales. Uh, can mm-hmm. you tell us a little bit more about those? Because I'm intrigued. Well, I started off writing the long twisted fairy tales, 90,000 words. Um, and I stumbled across a contest for red hot fairy tale novellas. And I thought, oh, I can't write that. Oh, no way. So I spent three weeks and churned out 30,000 words and sent it in. And it was, it was through a publisher and they kept my manuscript for six months. They, um, almost published it. They finally decided not to, it, it didn't win the contest. And one of the reasons was that the person who put it out there had decided they wanted traditional fairy tale twists. And and it didn't say that in the ad and mine was a contemporary it was a contemporary story, but they still kept it and almost published it. Um, took them a long time to decide not to publish it. So that's how I ended up writing the shorter ones. It was just completely out of the blue. Yeah. And, and the hot ones. Cause I, and I never thought, I thought maybe I'd publish it under a different name because it, 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 I wasn't sure anybody should be reading that, that I knew. <laughs> <laughs> and do you publish under other names or is it all under your own name? Um, right now it's all under my own name. This is a pen name. Jessica Aspen's a pen name. Um, and I actually started that so that I could keep it a secret. Uh, I, I did. I decided that I didn't want people to know my husband's family I thought would be too conservative. 
Um, but it turned out my husband outed me right away. <laughs> I was like, no. So he did it first. And, and all the way up to his, you know, 80 something year old aunt started reading my spicy books. I was like, Okay. <laughs> what was the purpose of the pen name? <laughs> so I'm but, not talking to the real you. This whole pen no. name thing has got me intrigued. <laughs> um, I just, I, I, yeah, go. I go completely by Jessica Aspen now. I do everything. I register for things under Jessica Aspen. I do everything under it. I don't do taxes or actual business work under it, but everything else I do because it's too confusing to have two names. Yeah. Okay. So. Well, well, Everybody, I have to ask, I'm sorry, close your ears. I want to know, and I, I had a friend in North Queensland and she lives entirely off her income writing gay erotica. And now oh. I don't think yours tips into the erotica at all, but it's certainly spicy. And one of the things that intrigue me is that you have great men who are really, really strong, and I've written down all these quotes here, but your women are equally as strong. So you must have these really dynamic um, things happening on the page. I hope it's dynamic. I, I like it, it can be difficult because I really like books that move. Um, I came from a background of reading everything. So I grew up reading science fiction and fantasy and action adventure as well as romance. So I like books that move. I don't like slow books. Um, even though it's funny, I also like books from the 1800s because I'm still an English lit major. So I still love Sense and Sensibility and all of that. But, but when I'm writing, I want those books to just go boom, 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 boom. So I want tension in the storyline. I want it in the action. I want my evil person to be complex and tense. And then my hero and heroine, I want them to be tense. It, it's funny because my very first book, The Dark Huntsman, the one criticism I do get on it is that the girl is not as strong. And part of that's because it is a fairy tale twist and it's a Snow White twist. And if you know, if you're familiar with the Snow White story, Snow White's a wimp. She, she just gets pushed around by everybody and she's stupid. She eats the poison apple and then she takes the poison comb and then, and she ends up marrying the guy who kisses her when she's dead. It's, it's just, it's a really horrible thing, you know? So I thought I was making my Snow White fairly strong <laughs> and she marries, she doesn't marry the prince who has the necrophiliac tendencies. Um, which I thought was a little weird. <laughs> um, so, but that's the one thing I got with that. But I learned after that, that if you're going to write fantasy novels and paranormal novels, readers want very strong heroines. So if your heroine is not strong at the beginning, she needs to be strong by the end. Wow. I'm still recovering from Snow White <laughs> being a wimp. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. White is a whim. <laughs> Let's face it. We're going to stop talking writing now and we're going to trash all our um, Disney heroines, everybody. <laughs> Talk to me yeah. about paranormal. I don't know a whole lot about paranormal and I know it's a huge genre and especially among my, my teenage um, students, they can't get enough of it. Mm. Yeah, actually, well, paranormal is huge and it covers a wide variety of smaller genres. When I first started writing Twisted Fairy Tales and my, my longer ones are called fantasy romance because they're like, they have like Tolkien type elves and high fantasy elements in them. There was no fantasy category. There, there was no fantasy romance category. It was myself and probably six other people out there. And there was no way, there were no keywords for it. You couldn't get listed for it. So I put it under paranormal and paranormal just, it, it really is all the supernatural elements of romance. So 
I actually belong to uh, Romance Writers of America has a group called the Science Fiction Fantasy Paranormal Time Travel. It's got all these initials. Um, so, but all of those kind of get lumped under paranormal a lot of times. So, but um, we're starting to get more individualized. Yeah, and I, I, these are so. I guess these kinds of conversations are so important. Uh, you talked about keywords and all that kind of stuff getting listed on Amazon. I notice um, even when I try to put up my little um, things, trying to find uh, the right category is just such a mm. nightmare because they're so broad and they're so general. Well, I think Nick Stevenson's class has helped tremendously. Even his free videos, he I think he has three free videos that you can get. So even starting with the first three free videos was amazingly helpful for me. Um, and I haven't worked my way all the way through his class yet, but the little tweaks that I've done that he's suggested have been very, very helpful. And I think with keywords, one of the things is that every once in a while, you kind of need to go back to them and see what's working and what isn't working and tweak them. And sometimes I'll do different keywords. So... So my shifter books are fairy tales, they're, they're shifters, they're contemporary, they're paranormal, um, they, they've got so many different things. They're also really new adult because they're stories about early 20s. Uh, my first one, uh, Red, is about a, shifting, a wolf shifter who wants to go to college, but her mother thinks she shouldn't go. She wants to keep her home. So it's a very new adult thing where the mom, the mom doesn't think she's capable of going to college and she really badly wants to go. So that's a new adult theme. So trying to find the right place for books like that that have so many complex themes is very difficult. It's one of the blessings of being an indie writer that we can write things with so many themes, but it can also be a handicap trying to market them. That's why the big publishers don't do that as often. Uh, even even as you're talking there, Jessica, I've written down, you know, all these words, measuring your data, measuring your success, new adult, keeping up with trends. I don't even know what a shapeshifter is. <laughs> well, you know, when I first started writing them, I called them werewolves, but they're not oh. werewolves. Werewolves are the scary ones that shift into man-eating, crazy creatures that look half man, half wolf. Um, shapeshifters shift into beautiful, elegant wolves or mountain lions, or something else very attractive. I've even heard of swans. Laurel K. Hamilton has, I think she calls them swan mirrors or something. They're not very um, alpha. They don't have alpha swans. <laughs> but I am, anything. Yeah, I'm out of my depth. I thought I was going to get out of my depth on the hot, um, red hot fairy tales, but I'm out of my depth with the new adult stuff everybody i'm losing it um but again that's what this podcast is for that's what this podcast is about because it does open up our minds to new ideas and and i'm pretty excited just talking to you jessica because i have to go back to school and talk to my kids and say i just spoke to this lady and i didn't know what she was talking about uh so your, look your kids will know my kids my kids um help me a lot with coming up with ideas or i test things out on them so it's very helpful to have to have your kids kind of bounce back at you. Yeah, I know my youngest daughter reads science fiction and I just, uh, don't tell me about it. And she just, they can't <laughs> get enough of it. They are buying mm -hmm. um, these things, they're big fat books and they come in series and she just buys one, two, three, four, five and then she's looking around for the next series and she gets it off her friends at school. So that mm -hmm. word of mouth thing is absolutely huge. Yes, yes. Yes, uh, so it it's, it's tapping it's tapping into that. Uh, new adult is reasonably new, um, a new genre, isn't it? It's only been around for a little while. Yeah, it's it's interesting because 
it's a question sometimes of if it is a genre. They they've decided it's a genre. It is a genre, but it's it's been difficult to shelve. It's one of the reasons it's taken off for indie publishers is because I think that the bookstores and the publishers did not know how to market it. Because it's really something that we used to do. When I first started reading romances, they were all about women who were 22, 24 years of age. And then people started writing about women of different ages. They wrote about women who were in their, oh my gosh, 30s. Or maybe 40s or 50s now, you know, we have cougar romances. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) I know somebody writes that. So um, there's actually, so the, the early 20s, kind of got left behind. And back when the, you know, the romances that I read as a younger, younger person, um, there were these naive young girls and these billionaires. So we know what that looks like now. Um, you know, naive young girl, she's just become a nurse and she needs this doctor who's like 35 and sweeps her off her feet. I can't tell you how many Harlequins there were of those in the, you know, between 1950 and probably 1990, but the new adult stories that are coming out now, um, really have a slightly different feel. There's there's a wider variety to them. I think there's still a tremendous amount of that naive girl being swept off her feet, and Fifty Shades of Grey is a really good example, on, even on the hotter side, of that that really super naive girl and the, the worldly wise older gentleman. Um, but you're also going to find things like I've written about where she's struggling to be free of her parents and find out who she is, what her identity is as an adult. And I think it came about as a strong movement, really, because Twilight was so strong for young adults. And those women and probably young men who read it um, read those stories, and then they grew up a little bit, and they wanted something a little bit older. They, they were ready to continue the story, and there was nothing there for them. So they started writing them, and women like me started writing them. And I didn't know at the time that I first wrote this book, when it first came out, that that's that was a trend. It was just just starting. Uh, I think that was 2012. Um, so it is very, very new. Yeah. But it's really, it's an age group, new adults. So there's all kinds of subgenres within it. So what I write is basically speculative new adult. It's a paranormal romance, but it takes place around a new adult theme. Yeah. Does that make sense? It, it, look, it does. And I'm, I'm sitting here listening to you, Jessica, and I'm, I'm really excited because it's not a matter of just going, oh, I'm going to write what I want. I'm going to throw it out there and throw it against the wall <laughs> and someone will buy it and I don't care. It's, you've researched it. You've thought about it. There's a market there. Uh, you, can, you can adapt to that market very easily and very quickly. It's, it's being able to, I guess, pivot and turn and and find out what people want and provide it. So it's it's clearly a research thing with you. you you've studied the markets. No, you well, threw it against I, the wall? No, I threw it against the wall. When I first wrote these books, there wasn't a new adult market. There wasn't a fantasy market. Twisted fairy tales weren't popular yet. I wrote all this stuff like a, two or three years before Twisted Fairy Tales started taking off. Um, I actually had to change something in my book because I started writing The Dark Huntsman in 2008 and it didn't get published. And then I finally had some offers on it. I ended up turning them down and publishing it myself. By the time I published it, the, the there was a movie out called Snow White and the Huntsman. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> and my story's different. But I actually had some things in there that were kind of – I was like, how could they know what I wrote? Did they get a copy of my book? You know? <laughs> but but I seem to have been writing things right before they hit um, but not knowing it and not knowing how to market to it. I've since learned now how to take advantage of that wave 
but that's been a long, long haul of learning and taking classes since I first, I first published in 2012. So I, and my publisher, I had a publisher and my publisher did nothing for me. The cover was awful. Um, the book was priced too high and it, it was just not, not marketed well. So it wasn't marketed. And she basically said, well, when you write 12 books, you'll start to sell. I was like, well, <laughs> 12 books. <laughs> I can't, I can't wait that long. So I, I had to learn myself. So. Yeah. And that's a fairly, that's something that we hear a lot on, on Rider on the Road is that taking control of your career taking control of every aspect of your marketing and standing out there in the front row and saying, this is my work, I'm proud of it, I'm a strong author and I'm putting it out there. It seems to be the way to go and we've got so many statistics to back that up now um, with Hugh Howie and all those kinds of people who are out there documenting it for us and as you said, we've got our, our trailblazers like Joanna Penn, uh, and there's lots of guys who who write as well who are very strong. Mark Dawson is one of them. Uh, But it's giving people like you, I guess, the freedom to get out there and try different things. Have you done anything that you've tried and it's failed? Yes, yes. I have a book that is a gothic romance. I love, I grew up reading gothic romances. Daphne du Maurier. Um, Oh, yes, yes. Yes. I, I love those stories and I grew up reading them. And I always wanted to write something like that. So I actually have um, a book called Ghosts of Christmas Past. And it's a lovely book. And everybody who reads it, it's actually my mother's favorite. Um, So everybody who reads it loves it. But it does not sell. It doesn't sell at all. And I don't know if it's because it's a gothic and there just isn't a big market for it. If it's because it's all by itself. I would love to go back and write, you know, a series to go with it because I actually had a whole series of books plotted to go with it um, because at that point in time I was actually learning how to plot because I originally started off not plotting and now I'm a huge plotter. Uh, So, but it doesn't sell. So I'm not putting the time into it. I'm putting the time into the books that do sell. Yeah, and that's um, that's clearly a marketing strategy and you you monitor Mm -hmm. your sales very closely. Probably not as closely as I should. I mean, I know what's selling and what's not, and I, I do keep, to keep an eye on it. I only really recently had enough, I guess, real data to figure out which series was doing better, and that's partially because I only last year published my uh, Sexy Shifter series on my own. Before that, they had been with my publisher. Uh, I had three books with my publisher, and I got the rights back. And so I, I wrote three more and published all six myself last year. So now I own that's now I have data between two series and two styles of books. They're, they're both twisted fairy tales, but one's contemporary shifters and one's high fantasy. And now I can see which one sells better. Now, I don't know whether they sell better because of the topic or the length, but I can tell you right now, my high fantasy books sell way better than the shifters which you wouldn't think because shifters are incredibly popular but i think it's more of a case of there's a lot of shifters out there there's a lot so the fantasy books there might be less of so that's you always have to look and try and figure out why your books are selling yeah is it the heat level you know the the shifter books are a little spicier so and i everybody says that's selling well but my fantasy books are a little less, they still have, they still have some heat, but they're a little less spicy. Um, they're so much longer and there's so much more plot that 
the the spicy scenes are fewer and farther between because um, my my people are out there fighting and doing stuff. So this is so, their nine, these are your ninety thousand word novels. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're right around ninety thousand words, um, and I have a fourth one coming out in January. Um, so. So do they sell better because they're longer? Do they sell better because they're less spicy? Do they sell better because they're fantasy or fairy tales? Or It's very, very hard to figure out why something is selling. Yeah, and there's a discussion going on at the moment, Jessica, and I, I listen in fairly closely because um, there's they say that short fiction doesn't sell and that people are looking for the longer novels, uh, yet... As you said, you've written a lot of novellas, uh, but your longer books are doing better. Do you think our readers actually want a good story that they can actually, I guess, sink into? Absolutely. I, I think it's a disservice to readers to say that they only want to read short, they only want to read on the train. Uh, that may not be true. I, a lot of the really dedicated readers out there are fast readers. When I was reading in high school and college, I could read a book a day. If it was short, it would be a book a day. If it was longer, it would take me three days. Well, that was wonderful, especially if it was a great book. I could immerse myself in that book and and really enjoy it. I think people are binge-watching TV now, too. They they get a series like Game of Thrones. And and my husband and I did this. We, we waited until there were several ser- seasons out, and then we watched all of them in, like, three months. We watched all the Game of Thrones. <laughs> it was it was a lot, but it was wonderful, and we couldn't get enough of it. And that's almost like reading a chapter after a chapter after a chapter. And when it was stopped, we were like, no, we need more. So I think there's a hunger for more content, faster, more content, faster. Yeah, and that's interesting because I bought the uh, – now, I'm showing my age. I bought the Downton Abbey series. Oh, I love Downton Abbey. And I just watched it from where to go. And now we watched it from where to go again. And I don't think I've got the patience. And I I guess it's that waiting thing. We want it and Mm -hmm. we want it all now. And that might be something that we can transfer over into our novels. You know, I hear a lot of people say, oh, shall I not put out my books until I've got the whole series ready? And I'm going, well, you've written a book. Why don't you put it out? But maybe there is something in holding it back and putting it all out at once so that the readers can just buy all six I think there's a lot of things going into that decision. So first of all, I've done both. I've dribbled my books out and I've also put them out all at once. I am now working hard at getting to a schedule out of about every two to three months. Because the thing that you're working with is twofold. First of all, does anybody know who you are? Because if you put a book out there and it's one book, it's going to languish. Because nobody knows who you are. I mean, unless you can put a lot of money behind the advertising, you're not going to catch that algorithm because you're not going to have the reviews. You're not going to have the the also bots. You're not going to have a lot of things there. So if you put one book out and you wait a year to put out another one, you've totally missed a lot of the things that help you move along. If you do them too close together which is what I did last year because everybody, that was the big thing last year was to put out books very quickly close together. You get this great surge and then it drops off and you miss the sustained purchasing. So, and the algorithms change. I think what was working two or three years ago, Amazon's constantly tweaking what it's doing. Um, So currently I would 
suggest, yes, wait until you have more than one book written if you are a slow writer. It took me a long time to write that first book. I don't know about you, but but that first book takes a long time and a lot of rewrites. And the second book takes less and the third book takes less. And now, now I'm actually writing fairly quickly and can get them out at a reasonable rate. But I'm certainly not one of those people who's going to be able to publish once a month. Um, I know people who do that and they're killing themselves to do it. So if you can only put out a book once a year, you might be better off waiting until you have a couple to put out at a reasonable point in time so that you can build that audience and utilize some of those marketing strategies that you can't utilize if you're only putting out a book and having it sit there by itself. Yeah, and that's an interesting thing too because I, um, I'm picking up on the burnout factor here. Um, I know mm. a lot of romance writers have done very, very well, um, but they're tired. Oh, I, there's a woman I know online. She's, I think she's 27 years old, and she's, her eyes are failing her. She went to the doctor to get new glasses. She's apparently staring at the computer too long. She's 27. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Yeah, and yeah. I, I think I think we're not building, I guess, anything that's sustainable. I know we've got voracious readers out there, but there's also a lot of writers. I, I used to think a book a year was was pretty good, and I used to, you know, there used to be um, what was the name, Penny Vincenzi, and all those kinds of people, Audrey Howards, all those um, ro- old romance writers. They used to put out their book a year, and everyone was happy with it. But the the expectation now is is that you write a lot quicker. Um, but I'm not sure that that's the same with our adventure thriller writers. No one expects them to put out a book a month, do they? I think you're right. I think romance writers have trained readers to expect more. And part of that was because a lot of them were writing novellas. They were doing serials. Uh, They did serials. They did novellas. They did very short things. Um, A full-length novel is 50,000 words. That's NaNoWriMo, 50,000 words. And Harlequins are right between 50 and 60,000 words. So if you're writing a 50, 60,000 word book, that's a lot. And putting out one a month, that's a lot different than putting out a book that's close to 100,000 words. Some of those historical novels are 120,000 words. Those books, those books you're talking about, a lot of them were big, chunky books. They were long, long books. Uh, so if you're going to put out a long book, I think it does take longer. Fantasy, I know, takes a long time because my fantasy books take a lot longer to write. Yeah. Do you have fun creating your worlds? I love them. Um, I- read a lot around Tolkien there at one stage and he created his own language and he just had so much fun with those things. Do you, do you have your own little world um, mapped out and drawn out? I haven't mapped it out, but I have, I do really enjoy keeping track of it. And uh, that actually can be a challenge too. I, I really want to start my own wiki, you know, like Wikipedia, you can do your own wiki because then I could search and find things. I'd be like, Oh wait, what color were her eyes? And I could search it on my own wiki. So that's probably a, that's a next step for me. I, I looked at doing that, but I'm not quite there yet. I could get some of the kids at school to design it for you. They're very much into all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'll get them, yeah. get them to work. <laughs> yeah, because it's um it's very physical for the kids. They they like to be able to see. They like to be able to get online and do all that kind of stuff, don't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I use like I said, I use my daughters all the time. They they've helped me with a lot of things. They helped me they helped me figure out my Skype today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my daughter's just handed my um, podcast back to me. All the editing of it with GarageBand and whatever else we use in auditions or whatever we do, and I just go, oh, this stuff gives me a headache. <laughs> So if this podcast stops everybody, you know why. <laughs> all right, uh, last question. You write. Um, we've talked about novel lengths and all that kind of stuff. Your daily work habits, um, do you write every day? 
I don't. I would love to write every day. Um, I... (sighs) (laughs) I have one of those lives where everybody else's life starts to impinge on it. I'm really working hard. That's one of my personal goals is to not let everybody else's life run my life. I have aging parents. Uh, My kids are away at school, which you would think would mean they needed less, but they actually sometimes need more because sometimes I have to drive up and get them. So that's a three hour round trip driving up and getting them. And then I have to take them back. Because if you go up on a Friday, you need to go back on a Sunday night so that they're there for school. So that's actually six hours out of my week just driving and picking people up. Or my parents, I go take care of my parents on Thursdays. Um, today, I actually was taking care of my dad today, doing some things with my dad because I couldn't get a doctor's appointment. So, so I find that so today I was supposed to be writing, but instead I was at the doctor's with my dad. So I struggle with that. But that is definitely my goal. My goal is to write every day because... What happens is when you don't write every day, you lose the momentum. Maybe that's not true for everybody, but I find it's true for me. I lose the thread of the story, and I have to get back into it. And that resistance that Stephen Pressfield talks about starts to take hold. So it's twofold. So not only do I have to get my imagination back into where I was, but I have that little voice in my head saying, oh, but you have so many other things to do, and you should be doing this, and you should be doing that, and and the writing's not going to go very well today anyway, so, yeah. so just don't do that. But yeah. if you write every day, that resistance voice is slowed, and, and the pattern of writing, the flow of the story is sustained. So that's my goal. <laughs> and isn't it funny, everybody? We write about these very strong women and how they take on these very strong men, and everything gets all sorted out and the women win. When it comes to our own lives, we just exhaust <laughs> ourselves. Um, we should, women unite, we should start standing up and saying, get out of the way, everybody, our writing comes first. But we just don't and we can't. And I could not imagine having this conversation with a male um, and the males that I've interviewed on this podcast. I don't have these conversations. Um, but mm. with every woman, it's how do we fit everything in. Uh, so it's interesting and it might be something that we might have to unpack one day. And it reminds me, Jessica, I probably need to get a few more males on my podcast podcast (laughs) (laughs) that that is true i i know a lot of female authors uh, and not as many men because i do delve in the romance world but i'm sure if you go tiptoe over to the sci-fi fantasy thriller side there'll be a lot more men over there (laughs) uh kevin tumlinson you're going to have to come back on for the fifth time just to talk about that all right uh now jessica i did have lots more to talk to you about but i think just having those very nuts and bolts conversations are beneficial to all of us so if you want to know about jessica's secret page she has we haven't even touched on it but she's got a secret horror page over there that she must just have <laughs> slipped in for because she got bored one day um but there is so much more to this lady that we just don't have time for this morning um jessica's in the middle of renovating a house and we've been watching with great interest on facebook as her kitchen's gone back together so even though she's writing her red-hot fairy tale novellas and her fantasy 90,000-word romance novels, there's a real world happening behind the author. Um, and being an independent author, I think my big takeaway today is once you took back control of your, of your writing, it really started to take off. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, but that's a whole other conversation right there about the things that I decided to do differently than my mm. publisher did, um, yeah. starting with branding and covers. I'll just show you my old covers sometime. (laughs) Branding and covers. These are the conversations we need to have. Um, I'm sorry, everybody, I've let you down. There's so much more that we could talk about, but we're out of time. Jessica, we might have to save that for another day, but thank you. 
Well, thank you for having me on. This was so much fun. I appreciate it. Yeah, now you go and do some writing, you naughty, naughty girl. Uh, okay, <laughs> I will put Jessica's uh, website up, everybody, so you can have a have a fossick through. If you're into fantasy and you're into, what was it, shapeshifters, uh, certainly <laughs> pop over and have a look. And um, we might talk branding another day. That would be fun. Okay, and it's bye now from Rudder on the Road. Mm-hmm.